I want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to get there in a few minutes, but I want you to have your Bible open there so you're ready to go when we get there. Ephesians 3, and we'll, like I said, we'll get there in a minute. Well, this morning, we're still in our vision series this week and then next week. But this morning, I want to preach about the church. And specifically, I want to preach about why we do what we do when we gather here together on Sundays. Why, why do we do the things that we do? Now, before we get there, we need to take a little pit stop to get us on the same page what we mean when we say the church. Because often we say things like, where do you go to church? Or are you going to church this Sunday? Or what are your church services like? And I totally get using the word church that way as long as we know that it's very unhelpful to use the word church that way. <laughs> Because the church is not a place, the church is not somewhere you go, the church is not a building, the church is not a Sunday service. We are the church. The church is the community of God's family. God describes the church this way. He calls us the bride of Christ, the family of God, the body of Christ, God's redeemed people. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you don't go to church. We are the church. There was a season when my kids were little, and I would always correct them when they said, we're going to church. No, we're not going to church. We, you already are the church. <laughs> now, I don't want to be legalistic that way. I'm not going to start correcting people. But I think it's good for us to keep in mind that church is not a place. The church is us. It's people. And local churches are really a tangible expression of the universal church, of the eternal church, when we'll all be gathered together. But right now we get a little taste of that in local churches. And what makes a local church a church is when individual disciples of Jesus, like you, commit to unifying under the oversight of qualified pastors for the purpose of living on gospel mission. That's how a church is formed. So uh, we're going to have a bunch of slides this morning to try to help keep us moving along. But Acts 20 is one of my favorite verses. It's going to go on the screen. It's verse 28 because it's a great example of description of the church. So Paul is talking to the pastors in Ephesus, and he's getting ready to leave them. And he says to them, pay careful attention. He's, he's talking to the pastors. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So notice some key phrases in this, how this unfolds. I, Tyler and Jordan, are to pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock. That's you. Because we're the overseers that the Holy Spirit has appointed to this flock to care for you. And it's not our church. It's God's church. It's the church of God. And 
Jesus shed his blood so that we could be his church. So the church of God is the blood-bought flock of people who are overseen and cared for by pastors. That, that's what the church is. So that's what Jesus did. He purchased us. That's, that's how important. You guys know you'll spend more money on something, right? Things are worth a certain amount. You pay more for something you think is worth more. Jesus paid his life. He, he shed his blood so that this could happen this morning. So we could be here this morning. So that we could be a whole new people, a whole new family, redeemed by the blood of Christ and cared for. There's no specific verses to go to for membership, but this is one that I kind of hang my hat on to say, membership is important because it enables Tyler, Jordan, and I to know who are in the flock. Who is this flock that we're overseeing? Who's the flock that we're committed to? And so membership really is your way of saying that you want our oversight and you want our care and that you're committed to the mission of this community and contributing your gifts to build up the church and acknowledging that you need everyone else here to help keep you in the faith. So that's what our family is for. It's our church family. So with that underpinning, that's what the church is, I want to talk about why we do the things that we do when we gather on Sunday mornings. Why do we do them? And so this is where I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read starting in verse 7. So follow along. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning verse 7. Paul says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let that phrase hang there for a moment. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, through us, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, so here's the purpose of the church. Through the church, God wants, God's plan is for the manifold wisdom of God to be made known. So I'm going to answer the question now, what is this manifold wisdom of God? What does that mean? That sounds all spiritual, but what is that? So I'm going to trace that phrase back up through the passage just really quick here. We're building, building a foundation for what we do as a church. The manifold wisdom of God is in verse 10. If you go back up to verse 9, he describes the manifold wisdom of God this way. The plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So we've got the manifold wisdom of God. Then you've got this plan of the mystery that's hidden for ages. Then you go back up to verse 8, and it talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see that? And then in verse 7, he begins with the gospel. I think he's saying the same thing in multiple ways. The gospel is the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
which is the mystery that was hidden for ages, which is the manifold wisdom of God. So shorthand, the gospel. Does that make sense? And the church, then, is supposed to put on display the manifold wisdom of God, or the gospel. So everything the church does is for showing off the gospel. It was to make this thing that was hidden, this mystery, become plain for us to see. Elizabeth and I went camping up in, uh, on Lake Erie this past week. And the one night we were outside and there were some clouds and the moon was sort of bright and you could see stars. And so I pulled out my uh, Skywalk app. You guys ever know what that is? So I pull out the Skywalk app and you, you load it up and you hold your phone up to the sky. And when you do... It takes the stars that you can't see with the naked eye or stars that are maybe behind a cloud or stars that just aren't as bright that night. And when you hold your phone up, it, wherever you put it, you can see all those stars. You can see all the constellations, which, you know, I can, oh, I can sometimes, oh, there's a Big Dipper. But then there's like a bear and a unicorn and I don't know, all these other things. I'm like, I don't even, how, what? I don't see that ever with it, without my phone. But what it does, it takes what I can't see with my plain, ordinary eyes, and I hold them. Oh, now I see. It reveals something that's there, but I can't see without the phone. The church is the phone. The world can't see the gospel. So the world looks through the church, to the church, to make the gospel plain, so they can see what's hidden. That's what we're supposed to do. We make... It known, and not just to the world, but to each other. There's hidden things in the gospel that when we are together doing the things that we do, people are looking through us, so to speak, and the mysteries of the gospel are seen more clearly as our lives are watched, as we watch what we even do here when we gather on a Sunday morning. And so that's what I want to do. I want to talk about how what we do on Sundays when we gather together together gives us visual expressions of the gospel. Makes sense. I, I am excited about this because I know that there's a lot of negative talk in the culture today, even in the church culture about church and how church is done and why church is done certain ways. And so I began to think, as we have since the church started, what do we do and why do we do it? And so this morning is, is my attempt, I hope, to help you to see that although we may do things differently than they did when Paul and Peter and the other apostles planted the churches back in the book of Acts, we may do it a little differently, but all the ingredients are there for what we do here. It's all there. So it may look different, but we can trace back, I think, everything that we do here on a Sunday, almost everything, back to something that Paul and Peter have told the churches to do when they were planting churches. So let's talk this morning about God's plan for his gathered church, for his gathered people to make known the mysteries of the gospel. So you ready? All right, so here we go. Before you even get here on a Sunday, most of us get here on a Sunday, there are already people here serving. So right out of the gate, there are people who are equipped by God, hopefully from 
others at the same time, equipped, and they serve the church. So there's the equipping of members to use their gifts to build up the church. And that's what happens. This room is buzzing from 7 to 9.30 before we get here with people getting ready with projection and sound and live stream. The heat gets turned on. Lord's Supper is prepared. Donut Sunday. Band practice happens. All of this is going on. People using their gifts. Now, there is no band practice or projection in the New Testament right? (laughs) It's not there. But in the churches that were planted by Peter and Paul and the others, the members were using their gifts to serve. And so 1 Peter is the clearest example of this. So Peter is saying this about the churches that he's working with. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stores of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? Why serve? Why get here early, you who get here early, to help us and prepare for us? In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So serving, when people serve, what they're doing is they're serving each other as a way of glorifying God, a way of glorifying Jesus Christ. They're making him known by their serving. They're making the unsearchable riches of the gospel known to people through their serving. They're actually, you, are imaging Jesus because Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be, but to and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus said. So when you serve, you're imaging Jesus. You're showing me, when I see you here serving, whatever it is you're doing, you're showing me what Jesus is like, like by serving. You're not giving your life as a ransom, but you're giving up your life. You're giving up your time. You're giving up your priorities. You have other things you could be doing so you can serve others in the church. You're showing people. You're showing us what Jesus is like. Now listen, we need to connect that dot on the doing end and on the receiving end. In other words, when you don't want to get up to go serve, you need to remember, oh no, I get to show people what Jesus is like by sacrificing and serving. And we who are on the receiving end of the serving need to watch and recognize this is just a little picture of how Jesus came to serve and to see that in other people and to watch that and to observe that because there's a whole lot of serving that goes on in here that would be missed otherwise. So have our eyes open for serving. So all that happens before you even get here. Then when you get here, you are greeted at the door by a greeting team, or we maybe call it better, number two, is hospitality takes place. Someone greets you. Now the way that this happens here in Christchurch is probably not exactly the same as it happened back in Peter and Paul's days, but the raw ingredients can be traced all the way back to them, to them showing hospitality. So in Hebrews 13, it says, you guys know this one, we've memorized it, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So sometimes strangers walk in, people we'd never met before, and we are then ready to greet them, to show hospitality to them. Hospitality is making outsiders feel like insiders. Someone who doesn't feel like they belong, maybe, helping them feel like they belong. And so we show hospitality to strangers. And sometimes those strangers turn into, or turn out to be, angels. So join the greeting team. (laughs) Because you never know. 
You might greet them at the door, and by the time they get down the hallway, poof. <laughs> you can tell us about the people that you saw that no one else saw that morning. So there's an opportunity to greet strangers. And then Peter says this to the church, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So in other words, what's the way that we keep loving each other, that we keep unity together? Well, it's by showing hospitality to one another, by welcoming one another. So this is what the church did back then. They maybe didn't do it in the same exact way that we do it, but that is why they did it. And they did it to show the unsearchable, mystery, the unsearchable riches and the manifold, mysterious wisdom of God in the gospel. They may ask, how does that, how do you see that? Well, here's how. Greeters, you are imaging Jesus. You are giving us a picture of Jesus. Is not the very heart of the gospel about God making outsiders into insiders? <laughs> Isn't the whole point of the gospel God taking people who don't belong and making them belong? Someone who's on the outside that now suddenly becomes adopted into a family? Listen, you who greet you, you stand there, you are imaging Jesus by making people feel welcomed, by making people feel like they are on the inside. That is the point. You're showing the gospel. You're showing the wisdom of the gospel to people and to me, to others, as we come in, in into our time together. So before we even sing the first song, there's imaging going on. There's the gospel is seen all throughout this room. And then we sing, and we sing, and we sing, and we love to sing. And we've studied this before. Tyler's preached on it. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So just a few quick observations one, God has designed singing as a way for Christ to dwell in us richly, for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. So you want more Jesus to dwell in you richly, gather with God's people and sing and sing to one another, right? We know we sing to God. We've studied this before, but we're also teaching each other and singing to each other, building each other's faith, faith helping Christ to dwell in each other by singing to each other. It's a way that we admonish one another. It's a way that we encourage one another. I don't know if you do this. Every Sunday, I stop at some point, and I just listen to you sing. I love how we sing. Love how we sing. When I planted this church 10 years ago, 9 years ago, I was told by everybody else who's planted churches, singing is going to be awkward. It's going to be really strange for a very long time, so just grin and bear it. I honestly, that's what I was told. No joke. I've never experienced that here. Never. And, and God has crazy blessed us with musicians and singers that are very talented, and people know how to make the mix right and all that. But beyond that, you all sing with zeal. And I'd love to have you encourage me and, and help me to have Christ dwell in me by how you sing. So thank you for that. Let's just keep it up. Let's just keep it up. And in case you didn't know this, so here, here it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So 
Here we're not necessarily modeling or imaging Christ, but we're singing about him. We're proclaiming him, and we do it by proclaiming the gospel. So that's why the word of Christ there is a shorthand really for the gospel, to sing the gospel. And so that's what we do on Sundays. We have a liturgy. We have a pattern that we follow. We usually sing four songs up front. The first one is about how great God is. The second one is about how we're not great like God. So as God is great, we are sinners. Second song is we are sinners. And then third, we sing something about the blood, the redeeming work, the empty grave, the ascension of Christ. And then the fourth song is about us wanting to live for him. It's a response song. And so we try to walk us through together as a family. We're teaching each other. We're in singing to one another the gospel as a way of God's presence, God's gospel being manifest in the room. Now, the way we do it, of course, is different than in Peter and Paul's time. They didn't have drums and microphones and projection, but obviously they did this when they got together. And so we're doing what they did. I, mean, I think it's crazy to think that there are people with Peter and Paul who did the exact same thing that we just did a little, a little while ago singing together. That's crazy. We're doing the same thing because that's what he wants us to do. And then usually there's an exhortation of some kind that highlights one aspect of our liturgy. And then during the singing time, we've encouraged for people to use the gift of prophecy, for people to exercise the gift of prophecy. So I want to take a second and I want to remind us of that. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians I just want to do this as a little way of reminder. I know everything I'm saying this morning is probably a lot of reminder. But I hope it builds faith. That's the goal. I want to build our faith. So this is probably a little more reminder time. But 1 Corinthians 14. is all about the gifts. And I was going to read this to you. You're probably familiar with this. So I'm guessing you've probably heard this before. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their, and I want you to pay attention to some of these words here, their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So, The gift of prophecy is meant to build up the church, to encourage the church. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So prophecy is for building up the church. Now, I want you to, maybe you don't have to turn a page. I have to turn a page. I want you to look at verse 24. Actually, notice this with me in verse 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together. So here again, it's the gathered church doing exactly what we're doing this morning. Comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbeliever enters. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, God is really among you. Remember the phone? We're the phone. So when we prophesy, 
The point is for people to go, God is really among you. That's the point of it, right? The first verses I read, it's about building up the church. It builds up the church. How does it build the church? By it happening and us going, wow, God is really here. In other words, it becomes visible, tangible. The gospel becomes something that you can put your hands on and understand. That's the point of it. That's the point of the gift of prophecy and how it's to function in the church. The Sunday gathering is a place for the unsearchable riches. It's more of those riches of the gospel that come through as people prophesy. So I just want to pause right here and just build our faith for every time we sing together. Because it may look different than it does in the book of Colossians, but we're doing the same thing. And we're doing it because God wants us to do it because it's good for us. It helps us to see the gospel. It helps us to see Jesus. It helps us to understand the gospel in more tangible ways, in multifaceted ways, not just through serving, but through singing as well. All right, so singing ends, and then we get really to the heart of the whole gathering, the moment we all wait for, and that is announcements. I put it in there sort of jokingly. I was going to just skip over, but we do do it, and I've gotten nowhere to take you in God's word, so we're going to move on to number five. <laughs> if you guys can think of a verse, let me know. So number five in my notes are, then what I do is I have a stand, right, and we encourage one another. We do it in a time of encouragement. Yes, we need time for parents to get their kids back to Christ, kids, but... I think it's really, really important that we capture that moment, that time, to apply what we read in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, whatever this church was and how they were gathering, here's what, here's what the author of Hebrews says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we've applied this whole chapter primarily to groups of three and community groups because that's really where you're going to get more into the nitty-gritty of encouraging one another. But I do think it's something we can do here, too, on Sundays. I think it's great when we can stand up and greet one another and talk to one another. Now, this, I think, is an area where we maybe can grow a little bit as a church. A little slap on the back of the hands. I think we can grow in this because there are Sundays where I see people, guests even, sitting alone during this time and no one's talking to them. Now, I get, make sure you hear this clearly, I get there are Sundays that you come and you don't want to talk to anybody. And I'm glad you're here. There's Sundays I come, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm like, can I just hide? Because I really am not in the mood to talk to anybody today. And so I get that. So don't ever feel like, oh, Matt's looking, I'm sitting alone. No, you sit alone all you need to sit alone if you need to sit alone. But I do think this is an area that we can grow. And so what I've done uh, this past week, I'm glad the order all came in, the timing came in perfectly. This past week, a little device was installed under the fabric of every chair in this room. <laughs> and it's linked to an app on my phone. I can either activate that individually or I can do the whole room at once. And so what I'm going to do on Sundays from now on is look to see who's in their seats and what you're doing. And if I kind of think that you should be up, I'm just going to push the button. So you guys get it? We're all on the same page. So I would like to ask us, in all seriousness, to please take that time a little more serious or more intentional. To, to really be looking around, okay, who, 
who can I just go meet? Who, is there an outsider that needs to feel like an insider? Who can I greet? Who can I share with? Who can I encourage? Who can I thank for serving? To really be thinking strategically about how to use that time. And rather than motivate you with something under the seat of your butt, Romans 15 says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement... I don't know if you think about the attributes of God or the character of God, if you think of him as a God who's a God of encouragement. But he's described as the God of encouragement here. May he grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he's the God of encouragement, and he's the God who welcomes. And we then are to encourage and welcome each other so that we can live in harmony together. It's it's for harmonizing. It's for unifying the church. And evidently here, the church in Rome pursued harmony and unity by welcoming and encouraging one another. And once again, I, I love this, that it's another chance for us to image God. If God is the God of encouragement and you drip with encouragement for others, you're acting like God. You're imaging God. And then it says that we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So when you welcome others, when you pursue others, when you go after others, you're imaging Jesus. You're showing the manifold wisdom of the gospel to other people in our gathering when you do that. Now, When you're on the receiving end of that, you need to receive it as, wow, this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of what Jesus does. They're imaging that. And then you need to think that when you're the encourager, when you're the welcomer. Say, I get a chance right now to image God. I get a chance right now to act like Jesus, to paint a picture of the gospel by how I interact with others in this room. All right, so let me move on from there. While that's happening, kids are in Christ Kids. Big thanks to everyone who is serving in Christ Kids through coloring pages and lessons and crafts and Bible reading. We are making the hidden mysteries of the gospel known to our kids. And then by just playing with them, we're showing them the love and the joy of God. They may not have had coloring pages in Peter and Paul's day, but... I think we can trace what we do all the way back to Psalm 78, where it says this, We will not hide them, the them is the things that our fathers have taught us about God. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord. We're telling our kids about the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We're not in Christ's kids teaching morals to our kids. Be good. Everybody be good. We're not teaching them to be good. That'd be a big fail. We want them to see the glories of the Lord. We want them to see his deeds. And they want, we want them to see the wonders that he has done. We want to make plain to them the mysteries of the gospel in ways that our kids can understand it. This is probably the one we can agree with the most as far as, oh yeah, this is clearly seen in scripture that discipling our kids is a high priority for the gathered church. High, high, high priority. So church, keep it up. Keep serving, knowing that you are fulfilling God's mission when you do that. And while the kids are being taught, 
you're in here and you're listening to the preaching of God's word. So that's something that we do here that was also done all the way back. Paul telling Timothy to do it. So 2 Timothy 4, Paul says this, I charge you. This is a very weighty charge here, by the way. He stacks up crazy things underneath this charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sometimes I can wonder, this whole preaching thing, is that really what we, like, is that really a thing in God's word? It's really there. <laughs> Preach it. Herald or proclaim. Exhort, summon, encourage the church. And I love it that he weaves it in with teaching and teaching. I don't, sometimes we I think pull, like, preaching is one thing and teaching is another. I think it's supposed to be both together. Simultaneously here, it looks like Timothy is being charged to preach and to teach. John Piper calls this, uh, he's a pastor out in Minnesota, he calls this expository exaltation. In other words, exposit the text. Make sure that you know clearly what the text is saying and what the original author meant it to say. The original author meaning God. What did he mean it to say? And then let's exalt over it. Let's rejoice in it. Let's celebrate what we see. And so preaching is both. It's teaching preaching. It's helping us, making sure that we understand what it says, but then there's a sense in which it needs to be rejoiced over. Jonathan Edwards, who was a pastor in the um, revivals that took place in New England, he said this. I've had this quote for many years, and I think about it almost every Sunday. He says, I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections or the emotions of my hearers as highly as I possibly can, provided they are affected with nothing but truth and with affections that are not disagreeable to the nature, to the nature of what they are affected with. In other words, I want your heart to soar to heaven and to be Godward when I preach on Sundays. Tyler and Jordan want your hearts to be stirred and moved by the truth. It's supposed to invade our hearts and arouse our emotions. I love the story in Luke 24. Remember that two dudes are walking down the road of Emmaus and Jesus comes along and they don't rececognize him and then Jesus explains to them how he's, they don't even know it's him, it's Messiah guy, how he was going to be the one who fulfills all these Old Testament stories, and he tells them all of that. And they, when he leaves, they say to themselves, did, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? Like, that's it. I'll never do it like Jesus did it, but that's the aim, to open up the scriptures in a way that makes our hearts burn together for God. You want your heart to burn for God. That's the goal of preaching. That's why we do it together, to stir our hearts and our minds to heaven. And we may do it a little differently, then Paul and Peter, especially when Paul preached for how many hours and people are falling out of windows and that whole thing. <laughs> Never been that long. <laughs> but the content and the goal is the same. It's the same gospel. The same gospel with the same goal, and that is to bring and encourage saving faith. So after the word is preached, we then do something in the area of application. 
some sort of application. Sometimes it's in singing. Sometimes it's giving you a chance just to let songs reflect on the truth that you just heard in the preaching to wash over you and to help you to begin to apply it to your own heart. Other times it comes, we take a few minutes and we do questions. And two of the questions are, what is the Spirit telling you to do or to believe? And then what action step can you take as a result? What do you think God wants you to do or the Spirit wants you to do as a result of that? Evidently, for the New Testament writers, application was really important because their books are usually divided in half, right? First two or three chapters, doctrine. Second two or three chapters, all application. So application is significant. We, we looked at this last week when we looked at James, right? Saying, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Be doers. Don't just be only hearers. Don't be deceived. So evidently, this is an important piece of what was happening in the local church all the way back then. There was application taking place. And then last, here on my list is the Lord's Supper. We enjoy the Lord's Supper together. You're still in 1 Corinthians. You can just flip back to chapter 11. And we remind us of what it is that we celebrate. In verse 11, chapter 17, I just want to highlight that this is something the church does together. He says, when, verse 17, he says, when you come together. Do you see that? Then he's going to say it again in verse 16. Sorry, verse 18. I had you stronger glasses. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church. Verse 20. When you come together. Verse 33. After he talks about the Lord's Supper. When you come together to eat. And then verse 34, he says, when you come together. So the Lord's Supper is something that happens when all of God's people come together. It's for all of us together. It's for the gathered church. It's for Christ's church as we gather with one another when we come together. And then we're told what it is that we celebrate in verse 23. Sandwiched in the middle. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We call the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper because the Lord is the one who instituted it here. He's the one who said, the wine now means my blood, represents my blood. The bread now represents my body. And he's the one that started it. And so that is why it is the Lord's Supper. And we may do it different than they did. Right? It looks like they had a whole meal together, and we don't do that. And they brought their own wine and their own bread, and we provide you with your own with wine and with bread. So we may do it differently, but our reasons are exactly the same, and our reasons will never change. Side note, there's a sermon online you can listen to as to why we do not examine ourselves. Because here, examining ourselves seems to be examining to make sure that you're not stuffing your face while other people are starving. That's the examining that was being done. No other kind of examining was being done. If you had to examine your whole life to decide whether you were worthy or not to take the Lord's Supper, none of us would ever take the Lord's Supper. Ever. 
because you will never be worthy enough. The whole point is that he is worthy and we're not. That's the point of the Lord's Supper. We're remembering that he was worthy and we're not, and then we're proclaiming it to one another as we eat and drink. That is the point of the Lord's Supper. So yes, we may do it differently. But what I love about the Lord's Supper is this. It's, it's unique. We've talked about all these other ways. Like The whole point is to make the manifold wisdom of God, the hidden mysteries of Christ, known when we gather. And so we're talking about all these different ways that we're making him known. This one is unique in that it engages all of our senses. Do you ever think about it? You're going to see the bread. You're going to see the wine. You're going to smell them. You're going to hear the sound of them as you drink them and chew them. You're going to taste them. So we've got our touch. We've got smell, sound, sight, and taste all wrapped up in this one experience. Almost like it was planned. To get all of our senses fully engaged into seeing and feeling and touching and trying to understand more about the gospel. So it's more than just bread and wine. It's meant to to stimulate all of our senses, to help arouse our, our hearts and our emotions, to see how wonderful the mystery of the gospel is, that Jesus would shed his blood for us that way. So the way we do it may be different, but the goal is the same. We want to remember and proclaim. Remember and proclaim. We're remembering what he's done, and we're proclaiming it to one another as we eat together as a family. So there we go. There we go. There's, I guess there's eight, nine in your list, but announcements don't count. So the church gathering really is to do these eight things for the purpose of making the manifold wisdom of God known. So we serve we greet one another through hospitality. We sing together. We express prophetic words. We encourage each other. We disciple our kids. We hear the preached word. We celebrate the Lord's Supper all as different ways, different facets for making the unsearchable riches of Christ known to one another. My faith was so built when I studied this week to prepare for this morning. Because this, this is God's plan. I feel like we're not just doing this because this is what the American church does. This is how we do it. It's not. Maybe the form follows some forms that are cultural. Absolutely. But the ingredients are in God's word. And it's what God's plan has always been for his church. And so I pray this morning that you believe more in what we do and why we do it. And that you will be filled with faith and excitement and anticipation for the gathering of God's people. And that you will even maybe reconsider somehow how you think about this little two-hour window. How much of a priority is it for you on Sundays? How excited are you waiting for it to happen? Are you, are you anxiously excited? Like, I can't wait to get to the view of God's people so I can understand the gospel better and be encouraged and to encourage and to build up my faith and to model what Christ is like and image him. And is that a priority? Is that a priority? How is this... Two-hour window, what competes for that time? And how do you fight to keep it preserved for you and for your family so that you can encounter God as we gather together on Sundays? I pray this built your faith. I pray that you can come and maybe with clearer eyes to see, okay, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it and be more engaged with your whole being and what we do when we get together here on Sundays. And I also have to wonder, you guys have been around, you've heard me say this many times, our, our goal our mission as a church is not just to get people to come to church, right? I've said to you, I don't, we share the gospel with people. I hope people get converted and they can go to church anywhere they want. The goal is not to build a big Christ church. That's not it. But as I studied this week and been even more thought to how, how encouraging it is when we're together, I thought, I wonder if there's more of a place than I've given it 
for us maybe to invite people who don't know Jesus, who would be curious to what we do on a Sunday. Maybe they're out there still. I don't know. We're definitely in a post-go-to-church culture on Sunday mornings. And that's okay. But I do wonder how it would impact people that I know that have come at different times to encounter what we encounter week after week. So I don't know if there's a place for that. I know I've never really encouraged it a whole lot. So I thought maybe it's a place to encourage you guys. If you're in a conversation, just to say, hey, why don't you come one Sunday? And just pray that I'm not preaching on the Tower of Babel or something. (laughs) All right, what we're going to do now is we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a way of us seeing, touching, tasting, hearing the gospel in a different way. So the band's going to come. They're going to play for a minute. We're going to sing a song together. And what I want to do is ask you to stand. There is a... Wine, you can take a cup with wine and bread or juice. The back table is gluten-free, correct? So if you need gluten-free stuff, that's in the back corner. Um, The Lord's Supper is for people who love Jesus and have been baptized. That's really what it's all about. Um, So if that's you, you love Jesus and you've been baptized, please come on up and take the bread and the cup back to your seat, and then we'll all take together. Okay, well, we'll partake together. So let's stand. If you guys want to go ahead and start getting in line where you need to go to get your bread and your wine, and then we'll start to sing in a minute. Put your bread, and I want to encourage you to smell it, and I think it's part of the enjoyment that we're supposed to get in the gospel, that God would use food and wine, joy and sustenance, as a picture for us of the gospel. And so, as you eat, it may take you a minute or two. You can eat a little, and then we'll drink, and then we'll eat some more. This is his body. It represents his body that was broken for you so that we could be his saved family. So let's eat together. the shedding of blood we're told there's no forgiveness of sins and even if your blood was shed it would never be pure enough to forgive you for your sins so not only do we have the shedding of blood but we have the shedding of the perfect blood so that all of our sins can be forgiven this morning so let's drink celebrating that all of your sins are gone Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for this reminder, this picture that helps us to get the gospel, to understand what you've done for us just from another different perspective. We honor you, Jesus. We love you. Our hope is in you. Increase our faith. Increase our believing. Jesus' name, amen. Thing that we see in Scripture, and that is it, some sort of a benediction. There are 28 benedictions in God's Word. 
In Leviticus 9, we see the first example of one where Aaron lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing over the people. And I believe there's power in that. I believe there's power in pronouncing blessings. They're not just words that are empty. And so I'm going to end this morning by pronouncing this benediction over you that we looked at a few weeks ago. We studied together from Ephesians chapter 3. So receive this from the Lord as his good word for you for today. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.